The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In many and various ways God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Imagine that a police officer gets a phone call from dispatch. You've got to go up, show up at this house. There's some sort of a conflict going on. And so the police officer pulls up in his squad car, and he looks, and there's not really too much going on. There's a light on in the window, and it just seems like an ordinary home, an ordinary evening in that home. And he goes up, and he knocks on the door. And as he opens the door, here come tumbling towards him two kids, two brothers. And they look all red in the face, and they're agitated and arguing with each other. And one of the kids pulls out of his pocket a wad of Monopoly cash and says to the police officer, Would you look at this, sir? My brother landed on boardwalk, and he won't pay the rent. You've got to haul him off to jail. He owes me some money. Imagine, imagine how that cop would react. Now, if he was good-humored, he might make light of it, might make a good time of it, but... It's not really his business, is it? Adjudicating between a case of monopoly, that's not really what he's there for. It's not real money. It's not real life. It's just a game. And these brothers, they're taking it way too seriously. That's how Jesus reacts when this man comes up to him and says, Lord, would you tell my brother to split my inheritance with him? Would you tell him to split the inheritance with me? Jesus acts as if it's just monopoly money. What? am I to do with this? Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? This is not the kind of thing that I'm here to decide. I'm here to decide, Jesus really is, I'm here to decide matters of justice and mercy, not matters of cash and money. And then he proceeds to tell a parable to everyone who is listening, a parable that shows how life does not consist in your possessions. Your life is not the sum of all of the things that you acquire over the course of your days. It's not even close to that. Everyone knows money isn't everything. Everyone knows that. It's common sense, and yet so often everyone falls for that temptation to think that the things of this life, the things that are passing away, the things that fade, to think that they really matter, to hold on to them as if they can secure for us some hope, some future. No, Jesus says, Don't think that way. Your life does not consist 
in your possessions. Instead, Jesus goes on later in Luke chapter 12 to say it this way. He says, provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old. Give yourself a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It must be in the nature of a treasure that it is enduring, that it can last. But the treasures of this world, they go away. They are fleeting and fading. They get burned up. They get destroyed. They get lost. They don't count for anything in the end. You can't take them with you. Everyone knows that you can't take them with you. Money isn't everything. And yet, we are all prone to be fools, like this fool in the parable that Jesus tells us. So let us strive tonight not to be like that fool, but let us instead hear what Jesus says and learn to be rich toward God. In order to do that, we should start with this. We should start with honor. And we should recognize in the first place how God honors us. The psalmist looks up at the heavens, and he marvels at the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets and the grand scale of everything, and he asks this question, which we should all ask day in and day out, O Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I that you would think of me, that you would think of me to give me life and breath and any good thing? But notice this, it's not just some good things that God gives to us. It's not just happenstance. We're not just kind of a side effect of God's goodness, but he has given every good thing for us. When God created the heavens and the earth, the goal was that he would put man in the Garden of Eden and give him dominion over the whole of creation. It was all for his good. I think we see this best of all in that parable Jesus tells later in Luke about the prodigal son. You remember how it goes. There are two sons concerning an inheritance, and the one son says to his father, drop dead. I wish that you would just give me my money now. And his father does. That younger son goes off into a foreign country and wastes all of that money, all of those possessions in terrible living, reckless living. They don't count for anything in the end as he's laboring to feed the pigs, wishing that he could just eat some of their food. He comes to his senses and he gets up and he goes back and on his way he's thinking about what he's going to say to his father. He says, I'm going to tell my dad that you should just make me like one of your servants. I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Welcome me back into your house, not as a son, but just as a servant. And as he arrives back at his father's house, still while he's off in the distance, his father sees him. And his father humbles himself by running out to greet him. From far away, the father runs to greet his son, and when he meets him, he throws himself on his neck, he wraps him up in his big hug, and he says to his servants, go and get the best of everything. Put a ring on his hand, get the best robe, get the fattened calf and slaughter it now, for my son who was dead is alive. He was lost and now he is found. What does the father give to his son? Not an afterthought, not something that is left over. But to that son, the son who, as his older brother will say clearly later, did not deserve any of it, he gives to that son the very best the first and the best. That is how God treats us. He honors us with the first and the best of all creation. Everything that there is, he has created for our good, for our blessing, so that we would glorify him in putting it to good use. 
He doesn't give us things that are left over. We're not a second thought. But he also gives things with steadfastness. He honors us with steadfastness. Throughout the Bible, God's love is described in this way. It is steadfast love. That is, it's immovable. You can run up against it with a tank and it won't move. Nothing, in fact, St. Paul says, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. And he makes a list. St. Paul makes a list that goes like this. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is our rock, he is our fortress, and nothing, nothing can move him. There he stands, always ready, with a listening ear, an eye turned towards us, his face shining on us, and nothing can get in the way. It is that way that God honors us, and we should marvel. We should be put to shame, in fact, when we consider how he honors us. Who are we that he should be so good to us? Who are we in the Garden of Eden, creatures made of flesh and bones? Who are we now in our sin, in our selfishness, in our pride? And yet, there he is, always from before the foundation of the world, honoring us in this way with his first and his best, and with steadfastness. The people of Israel had occasion to be ashamed all the time. As God brought them out of Egypt, you heard about that in Deuteronomy chapter 26. My father was a wandering Aramean. Jacob had served in Aram under his uncle Laban for 20 years. And then later, the people of Israel moved to Egypt to be spared from the famine. And Joseph saved them by storing up goods for many years. But as they grew... As they became a great nation, Pharaoh was jealous, and he was ready to blot them out. But God rescued them. He brought them out of Egypt, and he took them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet, so often, time and again, and this is the story of the scriptures through and through, the people did not honor God the same way that he honored them. They brought their sacrifices, and when they brought their sacrifices, they brought their weak and their injured he brought, they brought fruits that were not the first fruits, but second thoughts, leftovers. Not the best of their herds, not the things that were lasting, not the things that would be there and endure. Instead, they brought what they thought they could spare, what they didn't really want. And God looks at them, he says to them in the book of Malachi, this is some way that you honor me, you ought to be ashamed. Would you offer that kind of a gift to your neighbor? Would you offer that kind of a gift to your prince, to your governor? How is it then that I, your heavenly father, who have given such good things to you, my first and my best in steadfast love, how is it that you would so dishonor me? They ought to have been ashamed, and we ought to be ashamed too, for all of our failures to give due thanks to God, to honor him even at a fraction of the way that he honors us. He deserves so much better than we could ever Give him. We come up short. Praise be to God that his honor for us, the love that he shows to us, his gifts, they do not depend on anything that you or I could do. Instead, God gives and gives and gives, abundantly blessing again and again and again in spite of our sin. In fact, because of our sin, he blesses in order to save us from our sin. He gives of himself fully, giving his best and his first, in fact, his only son to die to cover all of our ingratitude, all of our dishonor, all of our selfishness and pride and vanity, all of our hope 
in the things of this world that are fading away, all of our love for created things instead of the creator who gives them to us, all of our selfishness and being turned in on ourselves, he covers it all with the blood of Jesus. That is how God honors us. He covers our shame, in fact. The shame that we ought to feel for dishonoring him, he covers that. He takes it into himself. He puts on us the best robe, the robe of his son's own righteousness. He does that because he loves us more than we could ever imagine. That's the kind of God we have. And if that is the kind of God that we have, let us not be fools, but let us learn to be rich toward God and to receive from his hand every good and gracious gift and so to strive to honor him even a small fraction of the way that he honors us with our first and with our best. We learn in the law that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that means every corner of your life. Give to God from every corner of your life your first and your best. We talk about money in this way, and that makes sense. A tithe from your first fruits. But what about the rest of your life? Your time, your energy, your strength, your family. Give your first and your best to God. It all belongs to him anyways. It's yours as a trust from him. Noah is a great example of this. There he is riding in the ark for however many days, sitting in the water, waiting for the water to come down. And the the ark settles on the top of Mount Ararat. And he's been in that ark with all of those animals, which he has saved to repopulate the earth. And he comes down out of the ark. And the first thing that Noah does is to build an altar and to sacrifice some of those animals. He'd saved them, presumably, so that they could fill the earth, so that he and his family could have food. And yet, what does he do? He takes some of those animals that he has saved so carefully, and he offers them to God as a sacrifice. What is the first thing that you do? Under any circumstances, think about the different circumstances you encounter in your life. What is the first thing you do? When you run into trouble, do you honor God? When you rejoice in blessings, do you honor God? When you're confused or unsure, do you honor God? When you are in trouble, when you're guilty, do you honor God? When you do your work, when you labor, do you honor God? What is the first thing that you do? Let us strive in every way with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind to honor God as he deserves, just the way he honors us, and with steadfastness too. Daniel is the exemplar of this. You know how he prayed every day, three times a day, and then they outlawed prayer in the kingdom of Babylon. They outlawed prayer, but Daniel just kept praying. It was part of his day that was immovable. It wasn't ever going to change. It was indispensable. Look at what he was willing to give up in order to keep that. He was willing to give up his reputation, his job, his life. He gave all of those things up so that he could keep honoring God. All of those other things were not steadfast. They didn't matter. They could go away. They were like monopoly money to him. He didn't care about his life or his reputation or his job. The one thing that mattered most, the thing that was never going to move in his life, was honoring God with his prayers, and so he did it. And see how God honored him. This is the surprising thing about returning honor and thanks to God. God doesn't desire our thanks and our prayers because he's insecure. He doesn't desire honor because he's somehow lacking in honor. But he wants us to honor him, to return thanks to him, so that he can give us more. 
so that he can pour out on us abundant blessings even greater and grander than what he had given to us originally. You know the parable of the men who were entrusted with talents from their master. One five talents, another two, and another one talent. Well, the two faithful servants, the one who had the five talents and the other who had the two talents, they put them to work. They honored their master with what he had entrusted to them. And what did they gain in the end? Five talents more for the one and two talents more for the other. But it was not enough that they had more talents. The master came back and he said, you've been entrusted with a very little and see how faithful you were. See what your reward is like. Now I will entrust you with even greater things. And he made the one a lord over five cities and the other a lord over two cities. This is what God wants to do for you. He honors you with incredible gifts, with blessings through and through. He urges you to honor him in return, to give thanks, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Why? So that he can give you even more. It's impossible for us to understand. We look at this world, we look at our lives, and we see scarcity. We see a lack. And that's what drives us to hold on to things. But there is never any scarcity, never any lack with God. He says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Put me first, honor me first in every aspect of your life, in every corner, in every crevice of your life. Put me first and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven to pour blessings on you far greater than you could imagine. Here's how Solomon puts it in the Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, with the first fruits of every part of your life. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This rich fool thought that he could have full barns and vats bursting with wine by holding on to his things. And that's not the trick. The trick is this. Trust God. Return thanks to him. Honor him with your lives and rejoice. That we have such a gracious God. He has done such marvelous things for him. How can one day of thanksgiving be enough? Let us give thanks to him every day of our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.